This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin met in Geneva, Switzerland today to talk about their problems. And one of those problems on the top of the list was Russia's cyber attacks against the U.S. I talked about the proposition that certain critical infrastructure should be off limits to attack, period, by cyber or any other means. I gave them a list. If I'm not mistaken, I don't have it in front of me, 16 specific entities, 16 defined as critical infrastructure under U.S. policy, from the energy sector to our water systems. But this concept is not new to Russia or Vladimir Putin. So what would it take for the U.S. to make Russia stop its attacks? We speak to former Director of National Intelligence Jim Clapper about that. If we take some action that will really cause pain for Russia, for example, cut them off from the international financial system, what will Russia's counter-retaliation be to that? What damage would they impose on us if we impose something on them that causes genuine pain? And that's a, that's a calculus that is very difficult to assess. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. This historic meeting that took place in Geneva, Switzerland, between President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin was historic for a number of different reasons, not the least of which was the place, Via Lagrange. That place is where the Geneva Convention was originated, and that speaks very strongly towards human rights, something that President Biden made very clear to Vladimir Putin when he was talking to him that the U.S. is all for human rights. They talked about a lot of different things, including Americans detained in Russia, the cyber attacks that Russian entities have launched against U.S. infrastructure for a while now. He also talked about the possibility that Russia and the U.S. could work together to solve some difficult problems regarding nuclear weapons, those cyber attacks, military activities. And he laid out very clearly that Vladimir Putin is not a friend of his, but someone that he has a mutual interest in working with as the head of another country. So it was a very interesting dynamic that unfolded between the two leaders, and there was quite a bit of theater that punctuated the whole thing, pushing and shoving between reporters before it all got started. And then there was that four-and-a-half-second handshake between the two of them. President Biden was talking to Putin and looking at him. Putin was listening but not looking at the president, which raised the question, would he really listen to anything he had to say in the meeting or after the meeting was over? On this podcast, we'll hear from both of them 
And then we'll hear from former Director of National Intelligence, Jim Clapper. We start now with remarks from President Biden, who told Putin he is not against Russia, but for America. I also told him that no president of the United States could keep faith with the American people if they did not speak out to defend our democratic values, to stand up for the universal and fundamental freedoms that all men and women have in our view. That's just part of the DNA of our country. So human rights is going to always be on the table, I told him. It's not about just going after Russia when they violate human rights. It's about who we are. How could I be the president of the United States of America and not speak out against the violation of human rights? I told him that unlike other countries, including Russia, we're uniquely a product of an idea. You've heard me say this before again and again, but I'm going to keep saying it. What's that idea? We don't derive our rights from the government. We possess them because we're born, period. And we yield them to a government. And so the forum, I pointed out to him that that's why we're going to raise our concerns about cases like Alexei Navalny. I made it clear to President Putin that we'll continue to raise issues of fundamental human rights because that's what we are. That's who we are. The idea is we hold these truths self-evident that all men and women, we haven't lived up to it completely, but we've always widened the the arc of commitment and included more and more people. And I raised the case of two wrongfully imprisoned American citizens, Paul Whelan and Trevor Reed. I also raised the ability of Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty to operate and the importance of a free press and freedom of speech. I made it clear that we will not tolerate attempts to violate our democratic sovereignty or destabilize our democratic elections, and we would respond. The bottom line is, I told President Putin, that we need to have some basic rules of the road that we can all abide by. I also said there are areas where there's a mutual interest for us to cooperate. For our people, Russian and American people, but also for the benefit of the world and the security of the world. One of those areas is strategic stability. You asked me many times, what was I going to discuss? with Putin before I came. I told you I only negotiate with the individual, and now I can tell you what I was intending to do all along. And that is to discuss and raise the issue of strategic stability and try to set up a mechanism where we dealt with it. We discussed in detail the next steps our country should take on arms control measures, the steps we need to take to reduce the risk of unintended conflict. And I'm pleased that you agreed today to launch a bilateral strategic stability dialogue. Diplomatic speak for saying, get our military experts and our, our, our diplomats together to work on a mechanism that can lead to control of new and dangerous and sophisticated weapons that are coming on the scene now, that reduce the times of response, that raise the prospects of accidental war. And we went into some detail of what those weapon systems were. Another area we spent a great deal of time on was cyber and cybersecurity. I talked about the proposition that certain critical infrastructures should be off limits to attack, period, by cyber or any other means. I gave them a list, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have it in front of me, 16 specific entities, 16 defined as critical infrastructure under U.S. policy. 
from the energy sector to our water systems. Of course, the principle is one thing. It has to be backed up by practice. Responsible countries need to take action against criminals who conduct ransomware activities on their territory. So, we agreed to task experts in both our, both our countries to work on specific understandings about what's off limits and to follow up on specific cases that originate in other countries, in their, either of our countries. There's a long list of other things we spent time on, from the urgent need to preserve and reopen the humanitarian corridors in Syria so that we can get food, just simple food and basic necessities to people who are starving to death, how to build it and, and, and how it is in the interest of both Russia and the United States to ensure that Iran, Iran does not acquire nuclear weapons. We agreed to work together there because as much as interest, Russia's interest is ours. And to how we can ensure the Arctic remains a region of cooperation rather than conflict. I caught part of President uh, uh, Putin's uh, uh, press conference, and he talked about the need for us to be able to have some kind of modus operandi where we dealt with making sure the Arctic was, in fact, a free zone. And to how we can each contribute to the shared effort of preventing the resurgence of terrorism in Afghanistan. It's very much in, in, in the interest of Russia not to have a resurgence of terrorism in Afghanistan. There are also areas that are more challenging. I communicated the United States' unwavering commitment to the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine. We agreed to pursue diplomacy related to the Minsk Agreement. And I shared our concern about Belarus. He didn't disagree with what happened. He just has a different perspective of what to do about it. But I know you have a lot of questions. So let me close uh, with this. It was important to meet in person so there can be no mistake about or misrepresentations about what I wanted to communicate. I did what I came to do. Number one, identify areas of practical work our two countries can do to advance our mutual interest and also benefit the world. Two, communicate directly, directly, that the United States will respond to actions that impair our vital interest or those of our allies. And three, to clearly lay out our country's priorities and our values so we heard it straight from me. And I must tell you, the tone of the entire meetings, I guess it was a total of four hours, was, 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 was good, positive. There wasn't any, any uh, strident action taken. Well, we disagreed, I disagreed, stated where it was. Where he disagreed, he stated. But it was not done in a hyperbolic atmosphere. That is too much of what's been going on. Some comments from President Joe Biden after his meetings with Vladimir Putin. Here are some selected comments from Putin through an interpreter after the meetings. I think there was no hostility, quite the contrary. Our meeting took place principally speaking. Many of our positions we don't share the same positions in many areas, but I think that both of these sides showed a willingness to understand one another and to find ways to bring our positions closer together. The talks were quite constructive. He talked about what, it, what his mom said, you know, 
these these important things they're not directly related to uh, any any matters directly, but it shows the extent of his moral values, and that's all quite attractive. On the whole, we spoke the same language. That doesn't mean that we necessarily have to look into our eyes, look into our souls. We need, we need to have eternal friendship and uh, love, but no, we have to uh, represent our countries, and uh, the r relationship is a pragmatic one, primarily. There's not like family-based uh, trust, but I think that there was some specter of trust that we caught a glimpse of. The words of Russian President Vladimir Putin speaking through an interpreter, and that idea about trust coming through. President Biden was asked about that at a news conference later on, and he clarified that that this was not about trust. This was about getting things done for the U.S. and doing them the right way. A few days before this summit, we spoke with former Director of National Intelligence Jim Clapper to get an idea of what might happen during the summit and after. Here's that conversation. Well, I think uh, Russia is dangerous but in decline. Uh, and what makes Russia dangerous, I think, are uh, you know two reasons. One is uh, their military capabilities, which are qu quite substantial, specifically their nuclear arsenal. And so because of that, Russia represents still a mortal threat to the United States because of, of the size of their nuclear arsenal. And increasingly, they pose a threat, uh, and this is sort of, you know, soft power, non-kinetic power, if you will, in the cyber arena. And uh, so uh, Russia, in my mind, still poses an existential threat to the United States. So you, you mentioned something that I've heard before, and that is that Russia is in decline, but that hasn't stopped the... The, 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 well, that hasn't stopped the problem. And a part of what I'm getting at here, sir, is that there are other actors outside of the official Kremlin you know, government uh, and the official intelligence and military that are engaging in harmful and destructive activities, but they have the blessing and even perhaps the help of the Kremlin in doing some of the stuff that they're doing. So uh, even though the government is in decline, does does is the threat in decline? Well, the, there's a relationship here because uh, I, I believe this is Putin's calculus: is that um, recognizing their own weaknesses, but notably the economic, where they uh, um, are in decline because of their dependence on oil uh, uh, for their economy. So the way I think Putin thinks about this is to compensate for those weaknesses. Uh, he does other things, notably uh, mis- and disinformation. And he's been very successful at that. And so in his mind, that's a way of compensating for Russia's acknowledged weaknesses. But on the rock bed of their uh, nuclear arsenal, which they continue to expand and, mo and modernize, so it's not as though they don't recognize their shortfalls, but the way they, I think the way his calculus is to compensate for those by uh, weakening us, uh, particularly in, in our political fabric. And I think they've been pretty successful at that. 
Now, have they weakened the U.S. enough for it to make a difference in our ability to defend ourselves uh, in, I guess, a, a, a larger confrontation? And I guess, first of all, do you see there being a larger confrontation? Well, I don't right now, um, but there's always the potential for it. And, um, you know, we have between the two countries over well over 90% of, of, of the world's nuclear weapons. And that's got to be a, a matter of concern. And I have to believe that uh, that will be a topic of, of discussion. I, I would guess it would be between President Biden and, and, and Putin. Um, you know, they extended the START agreement for five more years and I, so I wonder whether that won't be a topic of discussion. Uh, I'm sure missile defense will be a, a part of that. Uh, and I, I actually hope the, the two leaders who do control the vast majority of nuclear weapons in this country have some discussion about it. Speaking of um, strategic uh, discussions, um, I, the Open Skies Agreement has sort of fallen by the wayside. Um, do you think that's a great loss? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I think that worked, frankly, more to the Russians' advantage than it did uh, to us. And uh, we're in the process of uh, retiring uh, the aircraft that were used in, uh, you know, sending them to the boneyard. So I, I think we've pretty much pitched out of that, and that's probably not a big loss. So... Are we looking at a right now? Are we in a position where the whole view? Because I keep hearing that no, we're not back in in the Cold War. But I also have been hearing that we're in perhaps a new type of Cold War. So are we, as a nation, reforming or rethinking how we will deal with Russia? Even though Russia, as you say, clearly and um, you know. It's a fair statement. They're in decline. They're still a big threat. So are well, we... they are, and it's uh, not of the all-consuming uh, nature of um, you know the, the bipolar world of the Soviet Union and, and the United States. But uh, and there are issues uh, to be dealt with. Uh, for example, uh, competition in the Arctic. Um, the concern about uh, the Russian uh, assault on Ukraine. So I, I think uh, those topics, I would guess, would come up. And most assuredly, uh, there'll be some discussion about uh, cyber, uh, uh, Russian cyber attacks on the United States, ransomware. And yeah, I know it's, uh, it's criminals and all that. And and the Russians here is using their uh, tactic of doing things that are attributable but deniable. And I, I'm sure that Putin will uh, take that approach and, and profess ignorance or uh, innocence and maybe ignorance uh, of these uh, such activities, which is uh, not realistic, it's just not the way things happen in Russia. So, yeah, there are many non-state entities, supposedly, that uh, are um, inflicting uh, damage on the United States, uh, which the Russian government is certainly acquiesces in, if not uh, orchestrates. 
Yeah. You know, you mentioned several things here, the START agreement, missile defense, the Arctic, Ukraine, cyber attacks. Are there any things, any elements that you would like to see discussed that uh, are outside of those issues uh, that we, you know, haven't talked about or may, may not even know about? No, I, I think, I mean, there may, there were, I'm, you know, I'm speculating here just based on uh, experience with uh, prior uh, Russia-U.S. Uh, head of state uh, encounters. Uh, and those, are, to me, are the most likely topics. Um, you know, given that typically the way these things work is an hour or so of meeting, and half of that is taken up with translation. So there, there's a, a, a sort of a physical or mechanical limit on uh, how many topics you can cover. So I would think importantly would be uh, the whole realm of cyber, uh, arms control, and uh, some regional issues. Perhaps Syria might enter into that discussion as well as Ukraine and, and the Arctic. What about Americans being held in those countries? Um, you know, there are a couple of people that are pretty high profile, Paul Whelan and Trevor Reed, that we know are there. Well, that's a good point. And uh, I, I would hope that uh, those uh, issues would, would be brought up as well, particularly for Mr. Whelan um, and, and any other Americans that uh, I'm not aware of that are incarcerated in Russia. Director Clapper, what is it that you think, from your experience in dealing with Russia during a very difficult time, is necessary to do for this administration to get Russia's attention? We've been hearing from Secretary of State Blinken, and we've been hearing uh, from uh, some other folks in the administration that the U.S., is going to respond or deal with Russia's cyber attacks, which you mentioned need some discussion at this summit at a time and place of its choosing. But what is what do you think is necessary to to actually make make this make Russia sit up and take notice and, and to knock it off, as, as former President Obama said? Well, that's the that's a key question. And, and here's the issue that you that this administration or any administration needs to address, and that is. If we take some action that will really cause pain for Russia, for example, cut them off from the international financial system, what will Russia's counter-retaliation be to that? What damage would they impose on us if we impose something on them that causes genuine pain? And that's a, that's a calculus that is very difficult to assess. And I'm sure this administration, as others have, will wrestle with that, is in trying to determine what would actually change Russian behavior for the better without incurring uh, uh, undue damage to us because of, of Russian counter retaliation. And, and those are very difficult. Those are imponderables that every administration wrestles with. So who's wrestling with this? And I asked that question in this context. There have been numerous cyber attacks in the last months and last year or so that we know, based on what the intelligence community has told us, that Russia or some component of the Kremlin or linked to Russian uh, intelligence are behind, uh, that have uh, attacked the, the government, 
uh, have attacked the government institutions, have attacked the private sector, critical infrastructure. And so the question I'm asking is, who's wrestling with this? And are they looking at this in this way? And that is, okay, these things are continuing to happen to us, and the U.S. is bleeding, maybe not heavily, but it's still an injury uh, against, okay, we take this big action against them to stop it because death by a thousand cuts is still a death, you know, and it's still happening. Well, who's wrestling with it is the national security team. Uh, and they have a, uh, my administration ha- has an extremely capable, competent, professional group of people uh, wrestling with this issue uh, right now. So Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Homeland Security, Attorney General, um, and in turn, the FBI, uh, NSA, uh, all those players in the government are uh, uh, addressing, I'm sure, uh, these issues. Um, and many of these people are veterans of the Obama administration and 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 know the issues and, and know what the ramifications are. So I have a lot of confidence in the team that they put together that are addressing this issue. And they'll, they will think it through in terms of how do we impart a message and, and impose pain without uh, generating a, uh, an overwhelming counter-retaliation? And that's, that's the challenge. Does that scenario that I mentioned make sense, though, that, okay, we're continuing to drip, drip, drip uh, against not doing anything? Are, are we winning? Are we, are we winning by not doing anything, or are we losing by not doing anything? Does that make any well, sense? Well, we're, li- we're not winning. Uh, certainly, uh, and we haven't, you know, sanctions so far have not in, uh, produced the uh, change in behavior that, that's desired. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, clearly something needs to be done about that to, to impart a more uh, compelling message uh, to Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, just what, that, what that'll be, we, we may not know. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, I'm I, I could speculate, I guess, but I, I, I won't on, you know, what additional cyber actions we might take, mm-hmm. which may be best left not, uh, not discussed. Yeah. Um, looking at uh, where we stand right now in terms of Russia's behavior, you know, they're not, they're not changing it and they're impacting others with their behavior. This situation that took place in Belarus uh, recently was uh, stunning to many. Uh, and I'm just wondering what you think that, uh, what, what message, well, better question is, uh, what gave the Belarusians the idea to do this and where, Why? Well, I, I I don't know what gave them the idea. I guess they they had they they saw an opportunity to uh, um, uh, capture a uh, uh, a dissident in their mind, and they saw uh, what they thought was a uh, feasible way to do it uh, by uh, having a forcing an airliner down. Um, I think that's a commentary on the desperation of the regime in Belarus and their fear of opposition. Do you think Russia had a role in any of that? Um, I don't know. Uh, perhaps uh, 
uh, it could have been, but I, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the Belarus, the Belarus, it's capable of thinking up something like that on song. Well, talk about if you would just briefly, just the bravado to do something like that in 2021, and the message that it sends to other countries and other people who may think like Lukashenko and certainly Putin to do something like that. Well, I mean, that's just a that's a autocratic behavior. Um, that there are no are no limits to what a regime uh, can do. I mean, that's that's the message, and and unfortunately, they they have something in common with other autocrats. Hmm. Um, just a couple of more things here. Um, when you look at where the U.S. is trying to go, it's got a lot of a lot to undo, a lot to fix based on what took place in the last administration and the progress, essentially, that the U.S.'s adversaries made in the last few years, especially Russia. But then there's also China, there's Iran, North Korea, and you know, then, of course, there are the freelancers that are out there. Um, one of the things that the U.S. did in the last few years was step away from NATO. And um, some have said to me that NATO, um, if the, U- the U.S. goes back to NATO, which it has done, it still has to undo this idea that may be floating around in the heads of those who looked at what happened when they needed the U.S. in recent years and the U.S. wasn't there and said, OK, even if the U.S. does come back, we still have to deal with make sure that we can deal with. Uh, protect ourselves, and the U.S. is not that important anymore. Do you think that's a viable thing? Well, uh, I think uh, to the Biden administration's credit, they have reaffirmed uh, our alliances, uh, both in the Pacific and uh, certainly with NATO. And uh, I, I, I think, and there's not much we can, you know, we can more they can do. But I do think that there's the potentially the issue of uh, other countries questioning the U.S.'s reliability, and uh, who, who's to say that in the future we wouldn't, we might not have another Trump-like administration that would behave similarly. So I think there is there's going to be a uh, uh, some doubt in the back of the minds of uh, the leaders of some countries, at least I suspect about how just how reliable the United States will be as an ally. All right. Um, and the very last thing I'd like to ask you uh, on this uh, discussion uh, topic today is when this summit is over uh, between Putin and uh, President Biden, when, when, when this uh, NATO summit is over, what would you like to have seen happen? Well, I would like, uh, I would hope that, and I'm sure this will happen that President Biden will be very assertive uh, about uh, our concerns about Russian behavior and make that very clear to Putin. Whether you know it has any effect on Putin, perhaps not. But I, I do think it's important that the president, our president, make make some uh, assertive points uh, to the Russians, and I'd like to see that. I'd like to see an affirmation. Another affirmation, uh, can't be hard to overdo it, uh, about the importance of, of the North Atlantic Alliance and specifically uh, the importance of NATO. And I think uh, some you know, public expression of that, and I've, I'm sure it's very unlikely that the president will accept uh, 
uh, President Putin's uh, protestations to the contrary. Director Clapper, thank you. Thanks, JJ. Thanks for having me. Coming up on our next episode, we'll be back to this and more details about what was discussed. That's it for this episode of Target USA. If you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, we invite you to follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, uh, we invite you as well to subscribe to Target USA. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can find it at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. And welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. The most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes. Now let's get this straight. This is not your average podcast. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink, we play games, we have the song of the week, we have the creative curse word of the week, as long as you're having fun as our guest. Speaking of guests, each week I'm going to go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, doctors probably, probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on, but that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby! Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.